Good morning, Elevation Church. Don't even grab a seat. Don't even grab a seat. Stay standing up. I'm going to be like that this morning, right? So for the last several weeks, we've been doing a message series out of the 23rd Psalm. I got real creative with the title of the series. It's called the 23rd Psalm. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm glad that you appreciate the artistic intelligence and the creativity that God has given me. But we have opened all but one of these uh, messages by together as the congregation, together as the church, reading aloud the 23rd Psalm. And I want to do that again today. And I want to keep doing that as we go through this series because I want you to get in the habit of getting into the Scripture, of opening up your Bible, and of reading God's Word for yourself. And I want you to not only read God's Word, but I want you to hear your own voice and the voices of others speaking God's Word. Because I want this to be imprinted in your mind and even more importantly in your heart. And so let's do this together this morning. Let's open up our Bibles. If you have yours with you, give you a second here. Dig it out. Grab it. Now, you know what? You know what? Don't even do that. Let's read it off the screen because that way we're all reading from the same translation. Because that could get really confusing, right? That could get really interesting. So let's just read it off the screen together and that way we're all reading it in the same translation. Are you all ready? Let's do this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Be seated. So each of the last three weeks, we have camped out on one verse from this larger passage. And we're going to continue in that vein today. Today we're going to be in verse 4. So now, if you have your Bibles, feel free to dig those things out, open those things up. If you're using an electronic Bible on an iPad or an iPhone or some other smartphone, whatever, feel free to use that. Nobody's going to accuse you of texting or playing, you know, Candy Crush Saga or anything like that, unless we see your, flum, your, flums, your thumbs flying too fast. Then I know. Then I know. And I give each of you permission to elbow the person next to you if they're doing that, okay? Especially if you're married. Because that's good for your marriage, right? But go ahead and get your, your Bibles out and uh, go ahead and turn to the 23rd Psalm. We're going to spend our time in verse 4. But while you're doing that, let me recap briefly where we've been and what we've learned so far. We have, in the first three verses, found that this passage of Scripture describes for us the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, right? between the sheep and the shepherd. And we have found, too, that this relationship is very closely paralleled by the relationship between mankind, you and me, and our God. Right? We found that those two relationships are very similar. And in that relationship, we 
are the sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, that's what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. And so we are the sheep, and he is the shepherd. And some of the things that we have learned about the sheep is that these are creatures who need a lot of care. They require a lot of attention. Sheep, by their very nature, are stubborn, self-centered, wayward. Somebody here can identify. We are the wayward sheep. We're the wayward sheep, and God is our good shepherd. We need a good shepherd like the sheep need a good shepherd, someone to lead us, to guide us, to provide for us, to protect us. Now, that flies in the face of everything our culture teaches us about ourselves. Our culture in America especially, and believe me, I'm a, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool, uh, bleeding red, white, and blue American man. And, and I, am, I love our country, but one of the things that our country has done is developed a culture of independence. We are self-sufficient. I'm a self-made man. Right? I built myself up. I became successful. I became the, I did it. And we've glorified that to the point where we think that we have to operate in this total independence, but we were not designed for independence. We're like the sheep. We were designed to live independence, not independent, but in dependence on God. And so we found that, that we need Him to break this independence and to give us the care that we need. We've also seen that Jesus, who says he is the good shepherd, also says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. We have found that the shepherd is fully dedicated and heavily, heavily invested in the care of his flock. Jesus, in fact, laid down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life for you and for me, for every person who ever was or who ever will be. He laid down his life that we might have the provision and the care and the protect protection of the good shepherd. We've also seen that this psalm is written by David. We know that. It says right here under Psalm 23 in my Bible, a psalm of David. I pretty much figured out that meant he wrote it. So David wrote it, but David writes it from a pretty interesting perspective. If you read these first three verses that we've been in, David is writing from the perspective of the sheep, right? He's writing as one of the sheep of God's flock. And he's writing, it, it sounds like, it appears to me, he is writing to a general audience, a, a broad audience of, of them or they, whoever they are, we're the they that he's writing to. In reality, he's, he's really writing to other sheep. He's bragging about his owner. He's saying to other sheep who are outside of this sheep pen, I've got the best shepherd in the world. Check it out. He, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I, I don't have anything that I want. I shall not want. He, he leads me to still waters and green pastures. He takes care of my needs. He lets me lie down. We talked about what it takes for a sheep to lie down. It's a, that's a, oof, it's a lot of work. He refreshes me. He's, he's bragging to the other sheep about his God, about his shepherd. 
But in verse 4 today, as we start to read in verse 4 in just a moment, we're going to find that he changes a little bit who his audience is. He is no longer writing to the other sheep. He is now expressing his heart to his shepherd, his owner, his caretaker, his provider and protector. Let's see what David says in verse 4 today. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I like the way this is going. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, the good shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to know what he's talking about. Because the valley of the shadow of death, I think in pictures. Anybody else in here afflicted with that? You think in pictures? It can really bite you sometimes, but I think in pictures. And so when I read the words, the valley of the shadow of death, I envision like Death Valley, California. Anybody ever been? You talk about a desolate place in the world. That is like you, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. You know what I'm saying? It is, in a, it's dry, it's harsh, it's pretty horrible. There's nothing there except for a military base where they train for desert warfare. My brother was stationed there for three years. He said it was the three most miserable years of his life. Death Valley. That's what I think of. That's the picture in my mind's eye when I read the valley of the shadow of death. And so I'm kind of freaking out. And then he says, I will fear no evil. So I want to know what this, this sheep is talking about when he speaks to his shepherd saying, because you are with me, I will fear no evil when I walk through this dark, desolate, dried up, deadly place. So today our message is going to be broken into two parts. Because as I read the verse, we kind of break that verse. I can break that verse into kind of two parts. It's the valley, and then it is the presence of the shepherd and his rod and staff. So part one is the valley, part two is the shepherd and his rod and his staff. So let's talk about today what the valley is. Is my mental image of the valley of the shadow of death accurate biblically? Or is there something else going on? Here's what I found as I investigated what the shepherd David Remember, David himself was a shepherd. They called him the shepherd king when he became the king of Israel. He was a shepherd, a boy from humble beginnings. He had tended his father's sheep. He had been in the wild country. He understood these shepherding terms that you and I from Dallas-Fort Worth, <laughs> we don't get it, man. As much time as I spend in the woods and outdoors, I don't understand. So I started researching what he was writing about. And what I discovered is David was writing about a different kind of valley than what I was imagining. David's valley that he writes about in verse 4 is a valley that would have gone up a mountain, ascended the mountain. Now, if you've ever been to the mountains, you know between the mountains there are valleys, right? So there's a mountain here and a mountain here, and that low space in between we refer to as the valley. That's what I typically think of as a valley. But this is a different kind of valley. This would have been a valley that actually goes up the mountain. And if you've been to the mountains, you've seen these before, but you probably didn't think of them in context of being a valley. What these are is the places where water runs down the mountain and it carves out 
at first just a little you know, stream, then a, a ditch, and then that becomes over time this big, deep, sometimes wide valley. And they run up and down the mountain. And these valleys were the um, pathways that the shepherds in David's time, and frankly, if you go to the places in the world today where they still tend sheep like they did in the old uh, biblical days, they still use these valleys as like a highway. Every spring, when the weather begins to warm up and the snow and ice at high elevation begins to melt off, these shepherds will bring their sheep from the lowlands, from the plains, right? They'll bring them from the plains and they'll take them up into the high country to the alpine meadows because as the snow recedes and it starts on the lower elevations and melts up the mountain, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? As it melts up the mountains, it reveals beneath and behind it these green, lush alpine meadows, right? As the weather warms and the snow melts, those lush green grasses fill in where the snow and ice was. And so the shepherd, who's had his sheep down on the plains now, all winter long, to get out of the high country and all the severe cold and severe weather, down on the plains. They have at this point grazed out all of that area. There's nothing left. There's nothing left to eat. The, the ground is trampled down. There's, the, the shepherd has rotated them, and, and there's, there's, just, there's just nothing left. And so they move up the mountain through these valleys, using these valleys as like the roadway, the highway to the high country. They're leaving behind the desert land, where they've grazed it out, headed for like the promised land, the elevated life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10 that I've referred to every week in this series. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. That's life elevated, life at a higher plane, life at a higher elevation. So the shepherd is leading the sheep up through these valleys. These valleys are a great place for the sheep and the shepherd because being the place where the water runs down, there's water available. Often there's a stream or a river running down those valleys that the shepherd can make use of to water the sheep. Because there's water in the valley, the grasses green up there first before they do in other places on the mountain. So there's food and there's water in the valley. It's easier walking and traveling in these valleys than on the rugged other parts of the mountain. And so the valley is a wonderful place for the shepherd and for the sheep. And some of you have the wrinkled up brow right now that tells me you're asking the same question I was asking when I started reading this. If the valley is such a wonderful place with green grass and running water, why do they call it the valley of the shadow of death? Where's, where's the desert? Where's Death Valley? Where's my mental image? And so I had to read on. I had to continue to research where, uh, where this idea of the valley of the shadow of death came from. And it began to be very clear to me as I continued reading. And by the way, I was reading a book written by a shepherd who's also a follower of Jesus. And so he has a great perspective on all of this. And so as I read this book and continued to, to uncover what David was writing about, you know what I found? The valley of the shadow of death is a very good description. Because not only are those valleys a great place with water and food and easier travel, but they're a very dangerous place because in these valleys, predators lurk. Right? Mountain lions, bears, wolves, coyotes. They use these valleys as ambush points. Think about a valley. You've got walls. They may be gentle, but in a lot of cases, they're pretty steep. Very often, they're narrow. 
and they may be wide in one place and then funnel down to a very narrow passage. Often that place has steep walls. Ideal scenario for a predator to ambush its prey. So there's danger in the valley. There's also danger separate from the predators. These valleys are also very prone to natural disasters. Things like rock slides and mudslides. If you watched the news this week, you saw what happened up in Washington State. Horrible thing, that mudslide wiped out dozens of homes and families. And I haven't heard the latest. I don't watch the news a whole lot. But the last I heard, there were still like 30-something people missing, unaccounted for. And I think about that many who were dead, a dozen or more dead. Crazy stuff. Natural disasters, as we know in Texas, are powerful things. We get tornadoes here. We get flash floods. Those canyons get flash floods too. Again, it's where all the runoff comes. So if there's a real heavy snow melt up at the higher elevation, if there's a big storm that dumps a lot of rain at higher elevation, the sheep and the shepherd moving up, the, uh, up those, those uh, valleys can encounter flash floods, walls of water, 10, 20, 30 feet high, rushing down the mountain, carrying boulders and trees and logs and stuff, debris, and can be totally wiped out. And so while the valley is the best route to the elevated life that the sheep and the shepherd are seeking, it is also a dangerous path, a dangerous journey for them. They have to watch out for predators. They have to watch out for natural disasters and all kinds of calamity that they could encounter along the way. The shepherd leading his flock to this higher ground must be ever vigilant. Ever vigilant. He must be on alert, on guard at all times, watching for coyotes and mountain lions, watching for places where the rocks or the slopes look loose and ready to slide, watching for storms at higher elevation, gray clouds off in the distance can mean death right here, right now, in just a few moments. And so they've got to be ready for those things. And that, I think, is why David wrote part two of this verse. Because in part one, he describes for us the valley of the shadow of death, and surely many sheep die en route to the elevated life. Many sheep perish in pursuit of that higher elevation. But, David says, he says, I will fear no evil because, because you are with me. Because the good shepherd is with me. I will not fear the valley of the shadow of death and all of the dangers that it presents because you, the good shepherd, are with me and I find comfort in your presence and in the presence of your rod and your staff. Now, I get it that he finds comfort in the presence of the good shepherd, in the comfort, in the presence of Jesus. I get it. I didn't have to research that. I knew, I know what that means. But I was curious about the rod and the staff. Not being a, a sheep herder myself, not knowing anything about sheep herding coming from cattle country, I was curious. Now, I figured at least one of those things was the big, tall crook, the shepherd crook that we all think about, right? When you think of a shepherd, tell me, you think of the big old stick that goes up higher than his head and crooks over like a candy cane, right? You all know what that, now, I didn't know if that was the rod or the staff, but I figured it had to be one of them. And so I kept reading that book. What's the rod? What's the staff? Where are we going here? What's David trying to teach me? What's he showing me? Here's what I found. The rod of a shepherd is a very useful tool. 
It is one of his two main tools that he's almost never without. No matter what he's doing, if he's in the presence of the sheep, he almost always has his rod in his hand. What is the rod? The shepherd, as he, a young boy, becomes a shepherd and goes out to tend the sheep, would go out into the wilderness and he would cut a sapling tree. Not just any tree. He would find one that fit his physique at that time. He would find one that fit his physique. He'd dig a shallow hole around the tree, and he would cut it off at the root ball. You know, the tree goes down and flares out, and then the roots come out from that. He would cut it below that, cut off the roots, and keep the beginning of that root ball. So there's a big old knob on the end of that end of the stick. And he'd cut off, you know, above where all the branches come out. He'd cut the branches off, and he'd have a long, long in, in, in some ways, not the long staff, but, you know, a couple of feet long, relatively thick, maybe, you know, as big around as your wrist, rod. And that rod has that big kind of club end on one end, and he would have shaped it and smoothed it and worked it until it fit him, his stature and his abilities. And the shepherd uses the rod in some really cool ways. The shepherd does some, some neat things with this tool, and I want to be sure I get these right since I'm not a shepherd boy myself, but I want to get them in the right order here so we don't get off uh, time and off track as well. One of the things that the shepherd does with his rod is he guides his sheep. He corrects them. He, he, he uses it as an instrument to um, steer a misguided sheep back in the right direction. So say that one of the sheep on the way up the mountain, it veers off away from the herd and wants to come over here and eat from this patch of grass, but the shepherd sees that patch and knows those are poisonous weeds, noxious weeds that could do the sheep harm. So the shepherd's on one side of the flock, the sheep is on the other. By the time he runs all the way around and intervenes on this sheep, the sheep could have already eaten several mouthfuls. And so what the shepherd would do is pull out the rod and zing it. He will throw it. It is a throwing implement. And he might throw it and hit the sheep, which sounds very cruel, but he, he just saved the sheep's life for a little bump on the head or on the rump or whatever. Just, just saved the sheep's life. Or he might throw it past the sheep into the brush beyond, which would scare the sheep because we've already said they're skittish critters, right? They're scared of everything. So he throws it past them, makes a noise, and the sheep runs back away from the noxious weeds, away from the poison, away from the danger, and rejoins the herd pretty cool. I can see now why the shepherd wants to have his rod at all times. The other thing that he'll use the rod for, one of many things, is if a sheep begins to lag behind. If a sheep begins to lag behind the rest of the flock on the way up the mountain, just drops back and is going slower, kind of doing its own thing, going at its own pace, as these sheep are sometimes prone to do, the shepherd will use the rod as a prod. He just puts a P on the front of the word and uses it as a prod. And he'll come up behind the sheep and give it a tap. And it may be a little more than a tap for some of these sheep because some sheep are more stubborn than others. <laughs> if y'all are familiar with cattle prods, somewhere along the way they figured out if they electrified those things, they could get those cows moving pretty good. So you can imagine to get that sheep moving, the shepherd might use a little bit more than a prod. He may start off with a good bump, but he may whack that sheep and get it moving. Because if a sheep drops back away from the flock, it becomes much more vulnerable, doesn't it? Much more prone to attack by predators. And so the shepherd wants to keep that sheep moving, wants to keep the sheep in with the flock, keep the sheep under his supervision, under his care, under his provision and protection. And so the rod is used 
to move that, that slowed down, uh, falling behind sheep back up into the herd, back up into the flock. And so the rod is a very useful tool. I can see why the shepherd uses it, and I can see why the sheep would take comfort in its presence. Even though it might bring a little pain, it also brings with it saved lives, right? So what about, what about the staff? That's the rod, the short, heavy, knobby-ended throwing stick is the rod. The staff is the long shepherd's crook. And the staff, just like the rod, is a very useful tool that the shepherd is almost never without. The shepherd always wants to keep this useful tool with him. And again, just like the rod, he would have gone and cut this stick himself to fit his stature, to fit him personally. They will soak the end of it in water, and they'll use um, tools to bend. They'll heat it, soak it, heat it, soak it, wrap it around stuff to bend the crook into it, right? And then he carries this into the field with him when he's tending his sheep. And he has many purposes for the staff. By the way, the staff would have been the same tool that Moses was carrying with him that he used to part the Red Sea, that God used to part the sea before him, the same one that he would have thrown down on the ground and it turned into a serpent, right? This is a very useful tool. And Moses, who was out of the sheep herding business and into the people herding business, the Israelite herding business, still was carrying his shepherd's staff with him. And God used that staff to do some amazing things through him. So what does the staff do in the hands of the good shepherd? Well, the first thing that the staff does is it, again, it's an it's a implement used to guide the sheep. But this one isn't to, like, throw and make a big impression. This is something used a little more gently. It's fine-tuning the direction of travel for the flock. Imagine you're driving your car on the highway, and you begin to drift off onto the shoulder a little bit. And you haven't hit the wah-wah-wah-wah bumps yet. Y'all know the ones I'm talking about. Y'all have all hit them. I drive by Braille sometimes, I admit it. Just, you know, you just kind of check out until you hear the wah, 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 and then you move over. So you're drifting over. You haven't hit those yet, but you see that you're crossing the yellow line, right? Now, do you take the wheel firmly in both hands and uh, correct hard to the right? Only if you have a death wish, right? You don't, oh, you don't use harsh correction. It's a fine-tuned adjustment. You may just put your hand up in the 2 o'clock position and just kind of let a little weight settle onto that wheel, right, onto that steering wheel. And gently, it'll just guide the car right back into the lane where you're supposed to be. That's the kind of correction that the staff is used for. The shepherd will reach out. And this thing's taller than him. It's a long, long staff. He'll reach out with it, and he may just place it alongside the sheep up against its flank or its shoulder, and just put a little pressure. And it may guide that lead you into the right place or that one lamb who just can't quite keep, you know, the direction right. Keep it in line with the rest. And it's just a gentle correction as he places it up alongside the sheep and just gives them just a gentle pressure back into the right direction. He also uses it to draw the sheep into him, to bring them close to him. The good shepherd has to have a very intimate working knowledge and relationship with each one of the animals in his flock, with each and every sheep, young and old. And, and so the shepherd will reach out with that crook end, and, and he'll hook on to a sheep, maybe by the neck or just on the side, and just kind of 
to get tug and just, just gently bring it to him so that he can have it close in hand, so that he can inspect the sheep's health. He'll part the fleece and check the skin. He'll look at the mouth, open it up, check the teeth, look into the eyes. Are they clear? Is the animal bright and alert? Is, it, is the muscle tone right? Is the, is the fleece good? Is the skin right? Are there parasites attacking these sheep? He wants to know the overall health, the specific health of each one of those animals. And he uses that staff to draw them in close to him so that he can develop that intimate relationship and gain that intimate knowledge and inspect carefully and closely their health and well-being. He also uses the staff to raise up little newborn lambs. This was a totally new revelation to me. I, I, I had never heard of doing this. He will actually reach out when a ewe has that little baby lamb. It's critical for the lamb and the ewe to imprint on each other immediately and for the lamb to be able to uh, have its first meal to suckle almost immediately so that it has strength and it has nourishment and it has antibody protection. And, and because these sheep, these lambs have to get up and go, right? Because the, the flock's on the move. And so these little baby lambs have to get up and go pretty quick. They have to be strong enough to stay with the flock and avoid the predators pretty quick. So the shepherd will reach out when this little lamb is born and with that hook, very gently, very gingerly, scoop the little lamb up and bring it forward to its mother's face and let mom clean the lamb. And then he'll return the lamb back under mom and let the lamb begin to nurse so that it gains its strength, so that it gains its protection, so that it has the, the energy to be able to get up and to walk and to live. That's some pretty powerful stuff that a shepherd can do with two sticks, right? With his rod and his staff. And it's no wonder, writing from the sheep's perspective, that David says he finds comfort in the presence of the good shepherd, comfort in the knowledge that the shepherd is carrying with him the rod and the staff. Because these things provide the protection and the provision that the sheep all need. So let's think for a minute how much like these sheep are we? How much like the sheep are you and I? And how much is Jesus the good shepherd that he says he is? Right? How much is he the good shepherd? He's leading us to higher ground. He's leading us to an elevated life. Life in him. Life in his presence, a peaceful life, even in the valley of the shadow of death. A life where we can have comfort and peace because the good shepherd is with us. That's who he is. That's what he does. How much are we like the sheep? Foolishly, wandering off the path, wandering away from the flock, the church, going our own way, putting ourselves in harm's way, taking in poisons, Noxious weeds, toxic things in our lives. How much are we like the sheep that falls behind, who kind of checks out and decides, I don't want to keep the pace. I don't want to be part of the group. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. How often do we put ourselves in the crosshairs of the predators in our lives? I'm talking about the devil, the enemy. And his demons, his minions that do his bidding. How often do we make ourselves susceptible to their predation by falling behind? We're just like the sheep, aren't we? 
And he's just like the good shepherd. In fact, he is the good shepherd. Ever vigilant, ever ready, ever faithful, even when we are not. And because of this, those sheep who are under his care, those sheep who are a part of his flock, can say with all confidence, all boldness, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because the good shepherd is with me, and his rod and his staff, oh man, they comfort me. Because I know he will reach out and bring me in. I know he will club me, if necessary, to protect me from myself. And I know he will defend me like a ninja with those sticks when the coyotes and the mountain lions attack. He's the good shepherd. And because of him, I have no fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I walk through this life and its dangers and route to where he is leading me, elevated life. Yes, troubles are going to happen. Yes, dangers exist. Jesus doesn't make any bones about it. He doesn't mince any words when it comes to this. He says, there will be troubles, there will be dangers, there will be hard times. You and I, followers of Christ or not, we're going to have hard times. We're going to encounter dangers. We're going to come under attack. Natural disasters will occur. But we need not fear because the Good Shepherd is with us. It's good stuff. That's confidence in the storm. That's peace when everything is going to hell in a handbasket in your life. It's peace. Peace in Christ. Come on. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you in the valley? Are you in the valley? That means are you following Jesus the Good Shepherd, along the way where he is leading you from the, the dead, dried up, desolate, dying plains where there is not sustenance or nourishment for you anymore. It's where you were and it sustained you for a time, but now you need to leave there and follow him up to an elevated life. Are you in the valley following Jesus? Or have you stayed behind on the plains? Are you trying to eke out a living in that dry, desolate country, that picked over, parched land? Either way, you're going to encounter danger. Either way, you're going to run into hard times. Either way, things are going to go wrong. But in the valley of the shadow of death, that fearful place, on the ascent to that higher ground, that elevated life, you have with you the good shepherd. In fact, you don't have him with you. He has you with him. And his staff and his rod are there. He's providing and protecting as he leads you. Yes, you may come under attack. Yes, the walls of water may come down. The natural disasters may occur. He's there watching out, providing, protecting, lifting you up, drawing you in. Are you with him? Or are you out on your own? You stay on the plane? 
you will live a desolate, dry kind of life. Wandering, always hoping for the next mouthful, the next thing that will sustain you, the next thing that will bring you some satisfaction, but it never lasts. You have no real peace. That's no way to live, and it's certainly no way to die. But that is, in fact, what happens when you stay out on the plains. When you walk through the valley, you find that elevated life. You arrive at that higher ground. You find the green grass, the nourishment that you need, and you have the protection of the Good Shepherd along the way. The Good Shepherd promises that He will never leave you or forsake you. He says that no matter how wide a field you wander, no matter how far back you fall, once you come under His ownership, His leadership, He is always going to watch out for you, always going to care for you. He will always be there to lead, to guide, to protect, to draw you close to beat you about the head and shoulders when you need it, to keep you on the path to the elevated life, the greater life He has for you. If you're not with Him this morning, if you're out on those plains, know this. God has extended an invitation to you today to come and to follow Him, to be in the flock. And for three weeks we've been talking about, from David's perspective, talking to the other sheep, why you want to be in this flock There are so many reasons why you should desire to be in the sheepfold of the Good Shepherd, to follow His flock, to be among His charges, His sheep, to come under His ownership, to make yourself subject to His will. So many reasons. If you haven't been here for all of that, I'm so sorry. If you're outside looking in, you know that this flock has something. This flock under the Good Shepherd has something you need, you want it. And I'm telling you right now, you can have it. He's extended the invitation. He said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Welcome into the flock. Come on. Come be a part of this. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And if you're in the flock this morning, if you're in the flock, remember, the Good Shepherd is reaching out to you He's reaching out to you with his staff to direct you. If you will ignore the staff and continue to go your own way, if you'll continue to turn this way and that way off the path or to drop back, he will use the rod. And when he uses the rod to correct you, if you continue to go your own way and do your own thing, he still says he will never leave you or forsake you. He will, however, let you suffer the consequences of not following. And he will bring you back time and again. And eventually, hopefully, you'll find that elevated life, that higher ground. My invitation this morning for everybody here is this. If you're a follower, if you're a sheep in the good shepherd's flock, I invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus, to lock in on him, the good shepherd, to follow him, to get out of those noxious weeds to catch up to the flock and to stay in His presence so that you can fully enjoy the guidance and the leadership and the provision and the protection.
If you're outside of the flock, I have one question with the invitation I gave you a moment ago. My one question is this, why? Why are you still outside? Why haven't you come into the sheepfold? I've asked this question many times in my life as a pastor, and inevitably it comes down to one really broad answer. The answer is this, it's unbelief. You find it hard to rationally believe what Jesus says, to believe what the Bible says about him, that he is God's one and only son, that he is the way, the truth, the life, that he is the good shepherd. He's the only way that you can find that elevated life, the life that God created and designed you for. It's hard to believe that he, the king of kings, died for you, the wandering sheep, the wayward sheep that's gone your own way. If that's you this morning and you're struggling with the rational belief, with the intellectual idea of all of this Christianity stuff, do me a, I'm not going to try to convince you to make an emotional decision today to follow Jesus. I want to appeal to you in this regard. I want you to make a commitment to yourself to get the right answers, to get the right information. And to do that, you've got to go to the right source. And so I want you to come back here to Elevation Church for the next three weeks. For the next three weeks. Three-week commitment. That's what I'm asking for. Do yourself that favor. Come for three weeks. We'll wrap this series up over the next two Sundays. That third Sunday is Easter Sunday. And I would invite you to be, when I say come back here, by the way, y'all know next week we're meeting over there. Hill Middle School. We'll cover that in a moment. But I want you to do that. Commit for three weeks to come and check out the claims of Christ and see if the Good Shepherd is not reaching out to you with the staff and drawing you near to Him. Let's pray. My Lord and my God, I pray this morning that you are communicating clearly in the hearts of those who are here. Let them know where they stand. Are they in the fold? Are they in the flock? Or are they on the outside? For those who are in, Lord, I pray that you would convict each one of us to follow more closely, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to not come into a situation where you need to use the rod of correction on us, that we would be sensitive to your staff, to your voice, to the Holy Spirit that you have put inside of us to guide and direct and lead and correct us. Father, may we follow faithfully to the higher ground where you are leading us. For those on the outside, Lord, my prayer is this, that you would bring conviction to their minds, that they would know where they stand, and that they would be able to commit truly to that invitation I just gave for three weeks to come and check out the claims of Christ, to come and check out what it means to be a sheep in your fold, to be forgiven of sins, to be cared for in every way, to be provided for and protected. And yes, hard things still happen, bad things still happen, but to find that we can have peace in those tough times. Lord, I pray this morning as we continue to worship you in just a moment with song and also, Lord, as we 
bring to you the tithes and the offerings, that we bring those into the storehouse of the Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just multiply this ministry, that you would just move in a mighty way, and that you would just be here with us, God. We know you are, and that you would make yourself very real to those who still wonder, very near to those who are far. We love you. We give you praise for who you are, the good shepherd. Amen.